Blog Talk Radio. Cusick Laws Fighting for Justice Radio. Don't underestimate the other guys, Green. Robert, Mark, and Reed. You have the right to remain silent. Let me shut up. It's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. They see me rolling. They hating. Patrolling and trying to get me right Laws Fighting for Justice Radio analyzes civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and covers all legal current events. Each week, Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice features newsmakers, attorneys, media personalities, celebrities, experts, business people, and so much more. Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice. Straight talk, no nonsense. I'm going to make them an offer again with you. Now it's time for Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice Radio. Here are your hosts, Robert, Mark, and Reed. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much for listening, as we really do appreciate it. We have another fantastic show for you today. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, check out our website at kuziklaw.com, K-U-Z-Y-K-L-A-W.com. This is Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio with Robert, Mark, and myself. Each week, we analyze the hottest civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and we cover legal current events. Today, we're going to analyze five of the hottest legal news stories of the week, and then we're going to have our expert on, and after that, we'll start our new segment called Reed's Rant and wrap up things from there. Again, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice. Now, to the first story of the week, um, we've got a rare fatal accident that happened in a Tesla Model S. It was rear-ended by a big SUV in California. Um, Mark, you what what do you think about this case? It seems like it had nothing to do with the Tesla. It could have been any car, right? I think Robert has this issue. Hi Reed. Yes, oh. this is this is Robert. We have we do have a great show today. And boy, the news for Tesla keeps getting worse and worse. First we had the story of the man whose Tesla went through the brick wall, landed in a swimming pool and he drowned because he couldn't get out. Then we had the car thief whose car was split in two when it hit a when it hit a pole while he was fleeing from the police. And I'm sure all of us remember uh, in June when the Tesla that was on autopilot failed to recognize a tractor trailer passing in front of the Tesla, resulting in the first fatal collision involving a Tesla S autopilot system. So the news this time has to do with a Tesla S being rear-ended on the 405 freeway in Los Angeles um, when a allegedly drunk driver swerved the large SUV into the uh, carpool lane and rear-ended the Tesla at a high rate of speed. Tragically, a young girl, six years old, died in that accident, um, and a seven-year-old girl and a 13-year-old girl was in critical condition. Now, the interesting thing about this particular collision is that Tesla, as you know, has always really vigorously promoted the safety of their vehicles. They're constructed in a certain manner that supposedly makes them nearly impervious to crashes. Um, there's also a unique feature in this vehicle, which involves rear, rear-facing seats. Uh, anybody who's been in the Tesla in the back seat notices that there's kind of cafe seating where there's two seats that face towards the rear of the vehicle, and these are very popular with, with children and, uh, and uh, smaller statured people. In this particular case, it's unknown whether, those, uh, whether the, the girls who were injured in this were in those rear-facing seats, which have come under some uh, criticism as being not a safe way to drive in any passenger vehicle because you are facing towards a rear-ending vehicle. 
Um, so in this particular case, it doesn't look like the autopilot feature had anything to do with the cause of the crash uh, because it was a rear-end collision, and apparently it was an allegedly uh, drunk driver who caused the collision. But, boy, the bad news just keeps piling up for Tesla, and we'll have to see um, how this one uh, turns out. Yeah, that was a, just a tragedy. Um, it seems to me, though, that this was a, a Chevy Tahoe. It's a really big SUV, and it was high up. And it seems to me that if the, the same result would have happened if it was any kind of low-profile car, could have been a Honda, could have been a Toyota, or anything like that, it, probably the same thing would have happened. Well, that's probably true, although it, it remains to be seen what factor these rear-facing uh, uh, passenger seats may have played in this particular collision, and indeed whether the, the, uh, the, the young girls, who are so, uh, one of whom was so tragically killed and the other one who was seriously injured, if that had played any role in, uh, in their injuries. Yeah, we'll have to see. Well, let's move on to the second story. This is a lawsuit that claims illegal strip searches and SWAT raids have been happening in Ventura County, California. Now, when I read this, I was thinking, ah, you know, this is just sour grapes, a couple of criminals complaining that, they're, that they're, uh, they shouldn't be searched uh, and they're being harassed by the police. Um, and I usually take that with a bit of skepticism, skepticism but these are two white-collar guys, and apparently the... Uh, the, the lawsuit is, is claiming that the Ventura police did body cavity searches on these guys and, and raided their offices with a SWAT team, which, and they just said that's just going way beyond. What do you think about this? Well, this is an interesting situation. You know, we've had these we've had these lawsuits in the past where people have been arrested and taken to the station and for relatively minor offenses and being subjected to the full array of custodial kind of searches and intrusions that law enforcement can visit upon people. As a matter of fact, some of our listeners may recall a few years back there was an exact lawsuit somewhat similar to this where uh, people who were being arrested by the county sheriff in, in Los Angeles uh, alleged that it was improper for them to be uh, automatically subjected to a strip search upon being taken into custody, even for relatively minor misdemeanor or even traffic of infraction uh, offenses. And that case was settled. This one appears to be even a, a cut above or beyond that. In this particular case, um, uh, indictments were, were handed down against some executives of a wastewater treatment plant that had uh, suffered an explosion. And as a result, the State Department of Environmental Services had launched an investigation which indicated that the wastewater treatment plant had violated various regulatory and statutory prohibitions in how they were handling the wastewater and how they were going about their business. Well, remarkably, rather than just having the, uh, having the targets of the indictments uh, come in and surrender for arrest, the Ventura County Sheriff's Department sent a fully armed SWAT vehicle with uh, officers in body armor and carrying automatic weapons to conduct a raid and serve the indictments and also search warrants at the time. And the two targets of the indictments, who was the, who was the CEO of the company and a vice president, were actually subjected to a custodial full-body cavity search in full view of all of the co-employees at the uh, wastewater facility in the course of this arrest. Wow. And, and that, that just seems to be so over the top as far as law enforcement overreach. And also, if you think about it, created a very potentially dangerous situation. I mean, SWAT teams, when they come in with their automatic weapons, 
there on high alert. There's all sorts of things that could go wrong when really what you're doing is you're serving an indictment and a search warrant for some records for what is an essentially, I don't want to minimize what the violations are because they are felonies, uh, but basically kind of technical and statutory and regulatory kinds of uh, violations, not anything to do with violence or what we would ordinarily consider to be criminal conduct. So we'll have to keep an eye on that lawsuit and how, how it turns out, but you just have to wonder what was the Ventura County Sheriff's Department thinking when they came up with this one. Yeah, I could see them doing that for a drug dealer or somebody that is suspected of you know, killing people and having weapons, but a couple of executives, that must have scared the heck out of them. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I'll remind our listeners, this is Kuzik uh, Law's Fighting for Justice with Reed Brightman, Robert Ryan, and Mark Leonardo. And we're going to move on to the next story, which is a story about Jesse Ventura. You may remember him. He's a former wrestler uh, and the, actually the mayor of, of uh, the, the former governor of Minnesota. And he brought a defamation case against the estate of the Navy SEAL Chris Kyle, uh, you may remember who he is. He, he, there was a big movie about him. And Jesse Ventura claimed that Chris Kyle had defamed him, and that has gone up through the courts. And uh, what do you think about that one? Well, this is really interesting, I have to tell you. What an interesting case involving defamation law and public figures. Uh, let's give you a little bit of background here on this. Um, Everybody knows who Jesse Ventura is, as, as Reed just pointed out, the governor of Minnesota, if anybody can believe that, a professional wrestler, and one of these people who's kind of famous for being famous. Well, Chris Kyle was, was made famous in a movie called American Sniper by Clint Eastwood, portraying uh, where uh, Riley Cooper portrayed uh, Mr. Kyle, who was the highly... Uh, widely regarded as the deadliest sniper in U.S. military history with 160 confirmed kills. Um, he wrote a book called American Sniper on which the movie was based, and a subchapter in that book was titled Punching Out Scruff Face. And in this chapter, uh, Kyle describes decking Ventura at a California bar in 2006, allegedly because Ventura made offensive comments about SEALs, and including making the statement that the SEALs supposedly deserved to lose a few in Iraq. Well, Ventura was very offended by uh, this chapter in Chris Kyle's book, and he brought a defamation lawsuit in district court in Minnesota. And believe it or not, he actually won. He won $500,000 in compensatory damages and $1.3 million in unjust enrichment. And Ventura's argument was that this chapter, A, was false, that it had never happened, but also that it had brought him into uh, disrepute among the SEAL community with which he supposedly had a great, a great, uh, a great relationship. Um, he also boasted after this, the verdict uh, was awarded that he had taken on this like uh, this, this holier-than-thou uh, dead seal because Chris Kyle was killed in a shooting range accident in 2013 by a troubled fellow veteran that he was attempting to help. And so the lawsuit by Jesse Ventura actually was against the widow. And he went around bragging after he was successful in this lawsuit that he had taken on this this uh, this, this famous uh, this famous veteran sniper and his widow and had won. Uh, well, unfortunately, the news turned a little bit bad this week when the Eighth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals in Minneapolis threw out the entire verdict, saying that uh, 
that uh, the, the jury had been improperly instructed. And this is something that Kuzak Law confronts quite a bit in our own cases, which is that when you have a case uh, against anybody, uh, the fact that the defendant against whom you're seeking a money judgment might have insurance to cover that judgment, that is not admissible. You cannot say anything about the possibility or the reality of insurance coverage to pay any damage award. The law sort of used that as being um, kind of encouraging for the for the jury to award damages because in their mind, well, just some insurance company has to pay it instead of the defendant. Well, apparently, during jury instructions in that defamation lawsuit, it somehow came out that the publisher of American Sniper, Chris Kyle's book, had insurance coverage that would cover it for defamation awards of the exact kind that they were being asked to make in that case. And that was just too much for the Court of Appeals in the Eighth Circuit, and so they've thrown out the judgment, although Ventura, in his typically combative style, has vowed to appeal that ruling to the U.S. Supreme Court in an attempt to get his judgment against the widow of this uh, decorated former uh, seal uh, reinstated. Well, I, I don't think he's got uh, uh, a real good shot at that. It's pretty rare that the uh, U.S. Supreme Court will even take a case, let alone uh, reverse it. So, well, it's not the kind of issue that the Supreme yeah. Court typically would get interested in. If it had something to do with Chris Kyle's status as a public figure or some, some point of defamation law, that would be one thing. But exactly. it's pretty well accepted that insurance is not admissible in any trial for damages. Exactly. All right, let's move on to the fourth story. This is uh, uh, the story about a Tennessee Ferris wheel that that uh, had some rivets that had worn out, and they failed, and that caused the gondola to tip over and spill out a couple of young girls who fell 30 feet and got really injured. Uh, Mark, tell us about that. Yeah, this is another in a series of amusement park incidents we've had recently. Uh, we talked about this case last week. Uh, this is where three girls fell out of the, the tub or the gondola that they were sitting in. Um, you know, it's estimated that every year between eight to 10,000 children suffer injuries from amusement park or carnival type rides that require some type of emergency room treatment. You know, this includes injuries from, you know, the rides like at Disneyland or at Six Flags or other amusement parks to the kind you see the, uh, the traveling carnivals like at your local church. And, you know, deaths from amusement rides are somewhat rare um, it's, it's tracked by the United States Consumer Product Safety Commission, and they report that there are about four deaths each year from amusement parks on average, which is it's a rather small percentage, but I'm sure that's absolutely no comfort whatsoever to the family for those that have loved ones get killed on these rides. In this latest incident, the one in Tennessee, there were some worn-out rivet fasteners on the, on the Ferris wheel. It's being blamed for this gondola overturning the three kids they were sitting in it. Um, so when the gondola gave way, it essentially uh, dumped the three kids out of it, and they hit some of the bars on the way down, uh, fell about 40 to 50 feet. There was a, a six-year-old girl, a 10-year-old girl, and a 16-year-old girl. The six-year-old girl suffered a traumatic brain injury, um, and the other girl, the 10-year-old, broke her arm. They were both transported by helicopter, and the older girl was transported by ambulance. Um, <clears throat> as we discussed last week, you know, there are no federal agencies, or any agency for that matter, that's federal, that oversees the safety of amusement park rides. Um, some of the states have um, some type of oversight. 
in Tennessee, where this took place, um, all the rides were shut down right after this incident by the Department of Labor and Workforce Development. They did some inspections, and then later on in the week, they were granted, uh, the amusement park company was granted renewed permits to allow the rides to be reopened, but the Ferris wheel is still excluded from that particular permit. Um, they say that this particular Ferris wheel, which uh, inspectors say was correctly assembled at the site, but it's now being sent back to the manufacturer for repair. So when you have these amusement park injuries, whether a person uh, can recover damages depends on a variety of factors. And the, the, the legal issue out there is what's the duty of care that is owed by the amusement park um, to the particular individual? So we have like an ordinary negligence standard, then we have a higher higher legal duty. In this case, it's the absolute highest legal duty that would be owed. Um, and with, it's under the theory of premises liability. And this includes the rides, the activities, the conditions of the amusement parks. It includes whether the particular operators or the, the guys that put the people on the rides and, and strap you in, whether they did their, their job properly. So it's a higher standard. Um, it's you know it, it's a case by case basis, and the question often arises as to whether you know it's going to be an ordinary negligence or a higher standard like like a common carrier such as an an airline, a train or or a bus company. Now if this incident had happened here in California, the California Supreme Court in a case that involved Disneyland has ruled that amusement rides such as roller coasters are carriage rides and thus they're subject to the highest degree of care, just like as if they were a train company or an airline or a bus. Um, so that's, that's what the law would be in dealing with cases like this. Very interesting. Um, tra traumatic brain injury in children is a real, uh, real tragedy, a real big issue. What do you, Robert, what do, you, what do you know about that? Well, that's an interesting aspect to this story. Um, the six-year-old, uh, who was the most critically injured in this tragic accident, uh, was intubated at the scene and was transported to the hospital and apparently has been in a medically induced coma due to a traumatic brain injury. And as you know, here at Kuzik Law, we do specialize in all forms of traumatic brain injury cases and also those involving children. And as we talked about last week, um, TBI, as it's called, shorthand, uh, is one of the leading causes of uh, death and injury in young people under the age of 15 in the United States, responsible for a tremendous amount of emergency room visits, and the long-term care considerations are considerable. The interesting thing about TBI, is, especially in children, is it was always thought to be less significant in a child, um, and that the, child, the child would have a, an ability to bounce back from it quicker because the brain has not fully developed, and there was supposedly, or this was the assumption, that there's more elasticity or, or, or flexibility in a child's brain as opposed to an adult. And recent research has shown that it's exactly the opposite, that in fact, TBI in children is actually worse than it is for a fully formed adult brain precisely because of the fact that the brain is still developing and is not fully formed. And even more importantly is the extent of the TBI in a particular case in a child can't often be decided because the brain, the child is not in a position to de demonstrate deficiencies in thought processing and in other types of functions by which TBI is diagnosed. So it's really going to be up to their doctors to make sure that they adequately uh, evaluate this young child and make sure she gets the care that she needs.
what a nightmare for that for that family. My heart goes with them, and our prayers go with them. Well, we're going to wrap up the legal news of the week section of our show. This is Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice. Reed Brightman, Mark Leonardo, and Robert Ryan. And we're going to move on to the Ask the Expert show, part of the show. It's time to Ask the Experts. Ask the Experts is a segment each week that features an interview with an expert. Now back to Ask the Experts on Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice. Our featured guest today is Sheriff Mack. Sheriff Richard Mack is an author, speaker, and advocate of state and individual rights. Sheriff Mack is best known for challenging the Brady Bill. He maintained that the federal government had no authority to command local officials and became the first sheriff in American history to sue the federal government, and this was under the Clinton administration, and win at the U.S. Supreme Court. We can learn more about Sheriff Mack by going to his website at www.sheriffmack.com. Mr. Mack, welcome to the program, and thank you for being here. Well, thanks. And uh, the more current website would be uh, the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association website that I founded and president of, and that would be uh, cspoa.org, CISPOA, cspoa.org. Well, we will definitely take a look at that. Uh, Thanks thanks. for being here. Uh, In recent months, we've seen an unprecedented right rise in violence against police officers nationwide. We've had demonstrations and the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Why do you feel this is happening, and and do you see this trend continuing? Well, I do, and uh, I would echo a lot of what my good friend, uh, Sheriff David A. Clark, said from uh, Milwaukee. Uh, In fact, there were two sheriffs who spoke at the RNC, and both of them are very good friends of mine. Uh, Sheriff Clark has called it straight. Now, uh, there are hate groups that have called uh, me uh, prejudiced and racist, and yet uh, Sheriff Clark, being uh, rather uh, dark-complected, and I call him my brother uh, from another mother, but uh, we are very good friends, and he'll be the first one to say, how is it that Sheriff Mack is uh, racist when he has picked an Afro-American as the CSPOA Sheriff of the Year in 2013? And Sheriff Clark was indeed that. And Sheriff Clark has called it straight, and I will do the same, and I will back this great American leader uh, in what he has said. First and foremost, it's the breakdown of the family. And look at how many different incidents of rioting and ridiculous anarchy uh, crimes going on in the streets in Baltimore and Ferguson and uh, Milwaukee and other places across the country. And there was one time where a mother went out there and uh, slapped her son upside the head and grabbed him by the ear and made him go home. Where's the rest of those families? Where's the rest of those parents? Where are the fathers uh, in this country and in these uh, uh, violent uh, urban areas of America that uh, has so scarred our country lately? Uh, and Sheriff Clark has called it a family problem and a problem with fathers not being in the homes, and I would have to totally agree with that. And then you add in uh, poverty and lack of education and drug abuse, and that just uh, festers within a community, and that that something could go wrong with a black police officer shooting a black c- citizen who is committing a crime 
and then everybody uses that as an excuse to go burn uh, businesses, and they even burn businesses of, uh, of fellow black citizens, and that's what I find astonishing, uh, that they still attack each other, and it, it's just so indiscriminate uh, violence. But what I see going on in America is a lack of leadership, and yes, I lay a lot of the blame of this at uh, the foot of Barack Obama. Uh, he has not brought our country together. He has uh, fomented the uh, violent rhetoric, the anti-police rhetoric, and he has had uh, an opportunity each time to bring our country together, but he refuses to do that. And his agenda is one of creating and exacerbating the divide in America, especially racially. And I will tell you, the other day uh, I was at a store and a black man uh, held the door for me. And I looked him in the eye and I said, hey, thanks a lot. And I said, you know what? I think if the president and the other people in this country would let us, I think we'd all get along fine, don't you? He (laughs) said, yeah, we sure would. And... You know, the the violence aimed at police, uh, I also believe that the police in this country need to revamp the training and how they um, pursue community policing in in, uh, our counties and cities. And I think that we need to rededicate ourselves to patriotism and to being true guardians of the Constitution and guardians of the Republic and guardians of liberty. And I believe that if we reach out to the communities with that spirit in mind, yes, the spirit of 76 being in the hearts and souls of the police of this country, I believe that the incidences uh, of violence and abuse and the complaints against our police regarding brutality and excessive force, I believe those will diminish greatly. But I think the police are not properly trained, uh, and I believe the communities... uh, uh, suspicion of cops would also diminish if we were truly guardians and trained to be guardians and friends of the community instead of warriors. And I think that we are trained far too much to be warriors. And I believe that most of the cops in this country are good people, and I believe that if we put the right information in front of the right people, they'll do the right thing. But when you when you take in all the cons- Uh, to consideration all of the things I've just mentioned how the police are improperly trained and how the community uh, and families are being destroyed and that there isn't enough supervision and fathers in homes and that this is a destruction of our society and the violence between uh, these gangs and the citizens and our police uh, are simply uh, an overall result and symptom and reflection of what's going wrong in America. And again, I will tell you, it is a lack of leadership. Sometimes it's within the law enforcement community itself, but it also stops at the presidential office in the Oval Office, and he has done a horrible job. Uh, if, If he's actually even trying to bring us together, which I don't believe he is, I think his agenda is to divide us, and he, and in that regard, he has done uh, a very good job because he has fomented this agenda, and I believe it's been intentional. It can't be an accident. Sheriff Mack, I, I, I have to agree with you, and I, I don't think he has done anything to bring us together. Um, 
Give us, uh, thank you for being with us. Give us, give us your website again. Again, we are the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, and uh, we invite any and everybody to uh, come and become a member. You can do that right of our website, and you can get my books there as well. And that's cspoa.org, cispoa, cispoa, cspoa.org. Great. Thank you very much. Um, you're listening to Kuzikwa's Fighting for Justice with Reed, Mark, and Robert. And we talk about legal issues. For more information, go to kuziklaw.com. Um, our last segment is Reed's Rant. And what I want to talk about this week is road rage. And I saw a story post on Facebook here in, uh, in our neighborhood where uh, at a stoplight, there was a young woman stopped at a stoplight, and a motorcycle drove up and took his helmet off and smashed the, the, the right Dry, uh, passenger side mirror off the car and then took off. And uh, apparently that motorcyclist felt that the uh, was, was insulted that the person had uh, uh, cut him or her off. And there was a lot of discussion on Facebook. And I got to tell you that really that really gets me angry. There is no reason to take the law into your own hands and to destroy private property. And it's dangerous and stupid. Now, in this case, it was a young woman who uh, was obviously shocked and, and frightened, but the next time that motorcyclist knocks somebody's window off or breaks a window, they, they can end up getting shot. You know, you never know who's in a car. You never know who's carrying a gun. You never know if that person is going to uh, take off and chase that motorcyclist and, and knock him over in the car. Road rage is never okay. And it should be avoided at all costs. Take a breath, count to ten, listen to a book on tape, listen to a song. I don't care. But don't risk your lives and other lives by engaging in road rage. That will wrap up our show today. Robert and uh, Mark, thank you so much for being great co-hosts. Uh, we look forward to another great show next week. And we'll see you there. Thank you, Reed. Thank you. We analyze civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and all legal current events. Thanks for listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio.